Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Victory Baptist Church in Hope Mills, North Carolina. I pray that God uses this message to help you worship God, strengthen your relationship, and glorify Him. Without further ado, here is this week's message. So, if you guys would go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. I've said a few times that this year's uh, unofficial theme for our church could be a return to fundamentals. Uh, And there's really nothing more fundamental to Christianity than Jesus' life. And so we're walking through the book of Luke to see Jesus' life and and to to get that uh, story all the way through from beginning to end. Um, And our title for the series is An Unexpected King, and we'll see that play out as we go through this book. This morning, where's my clicker? There it is. This morning, we're going to be in chapter 8, verses 4 to 15, and this is the parable of the sower. Uh, This is one of Jesus' most popular parables or most well-known parables. Um, But just, as we've learned many times before, just because we've had a lot of exposure to something in the Bible doesn't mean that we've uh, taken everything out of it that we possibly can. One of the most incredible things about the Bible is that the more you read, the more, even if you've read a passage 20 times or 40 times, the more you read it, the more God can speak to us through it. Uh, So as we return to this familiar passage, um, I pray that God will have your hearts open to hear a new message or maybe be reminded of something that you've forgotten. Uh, The main idea of this passage is that God must reveal the message. And I've got it broken down into three divisions. And there are, I'm going to talk a little bit about parables and then hidden messages and four responses. So I'm going to pray and we'll get right into this text. Lord, as we, we humble ourselves in your presence to take in your word, God, I pray that you will open our hearts, open our ears, and open our minds to hear the message that you have for us today. God, I pray that, that you will freshen this familiar uh, passage for us so that we can have a, a new or deeper or more intimate understanding of you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we'll get started, and I'm going to start here in verse 4. It says, As a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from everywhere, he said in a parable. I'm going to pause right there and just talk real quick about parables. Uh, A parable is just a a simple story that illustrates a lesson. Uh, Jesus loved using parables to teach. They often served as a way to help Jesus' audience understand what he was teaching. Parables helped to clarify his lesson. And this was the the case in the previous parable that we read um, about the two debtors that Jesus told to Simon the Pharisee. That parable helped Simon to understand that those who are forgiven much love much. But as we will see today, that's not the only reason that Jesus used parables. So we're going to keep reading. And here's that parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit, a hundred times what was sown. And as he said this, he called out, Let let anyone who has ears to hear listen. Now we're not going to dive too deep into this parable right now because Jesus is going to explain it for us. But there are a couple of other things we need to cover first. Well, The first one is, Jesus says, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. 
we've heard Jesus say similar things to, like this before. Uh, he's encouraging those people around to pay attention because this is something important and they need to pay attention to this. So let anyone who has ears to hear listen. But I think as we dig a little bit deeper into this passage, this phrase, anyone who has ears to hear, might take on a bit of a more nuanced meaning. It's not just anybody out there with ears on the side of your head or anybody who has the ability to hear. We're going to see there's a little bit more of a nuanced meaning to this. And so we keep reading. Then his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? So he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you or given for you to know, but to the rest it is in parables, so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So have you ever been reading the Bible and you come across a passage and you just go, huh, what in, what in the world does that mean? I know you have. It's happened to all of us. It still happens to all of us. It still happens to me. We come across a passage in the Bible and we say, what? I don't understand what you're telling me, God. Well, if you've ever been confused when reading scripture, here's something of encouragement for you. Even the people who spent every day with Jesus, listening to him and hearing his teaching, they still miss the point of his lessons sometimes. They also show us the right response for these misunderstandings. Jesus' disciples were with him every day, listening to him, living every moment with him. Jesus gives this parable and they go, what? What does that mean? But they show us the correct response. Ask Jesus. Ask him, what does this mean? So when we come across these confusing passages, the first step for us to do is to pray. Ask God for clarification on that passage. Ask God to give us clear understanding of what this means. Sometimes, after that prayer, and we go back and we read it again, the second time, or maybe the twelfth time, God does provide some clarification. Now, sometimes, He doesn't provide it so easily. Either way, it's important for us to look at what the rest of the Bible has to say about that passage. We read a passage, and we might not understand what it says, we ask God for clarification. Sometimes he'll give us that clarification right away. Sometimes he doesn't. So what we do is we go and we see what the rest of the Bible has to say about that passage. This is our context, right? We're trying to see what the rest of, uh, what, what else God has said about this. Right? He might have already given that clarification to us, but it's in another part of the Bible. If your Bible has footnotes or study notes, these can be really helpful in finding those connections. Uh, we're actually going to use the footnotes in just a moment when we look up an Old Testament reference. So after you pray and after you search the rest of the Bible for answers, there are a couple of other steps that you can take. First, or I guess third, uh, ask your church family. Ask the people who you trust. Ask your church family for help in understanding that passage. And lastly, find out what other trusted teachers have said about that passage in question. And I say that lastly, not that that has to be the last step or that that's the least important step, but that's just the last one that I had listed. Right? We look at what other trusted teachers have said about that passage, whether it's you know, other trusted teachers right now. Um, you know, I refer a lot of times, I'll, I'll talk about, or I'll give quotes from J.D. Greer um, or uh, Peyton Jones. I've used those uh, guys to as reference several times. Or, you know, uh, teachers from history, you know, whether that's uh, Martin Luther or uh, Charles Spurgeon or John Calvin, there are, uh, there's a rich history and tradition of you know, a couple thousand years of wise church leaders digging into these passages. And, and it would be 
foolish for us to ignore them. They might be a little hard to understand sometimes, and John Calvin's writings can be pretty hard to understand, but they can help us to provide some insight on what God's telling us. All right, so Jesus' Jesus's answer makes it clear that his disciples are not meant to stay in the dark about the meaning of parables. Right? We, we might come across a passage, and we're confused about it, but Jesus makes it clear that his people are not supposed to stay confused about what the scriptures say. He says, The secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is in parables. See, some of the parables that Jesus uses are to clarify his teaching, like the two debtors that he told to Simon the Pharisee. But some of his parables are used to conceal the meaning of the message to the outsiders. It's used to conceal the meaning of the message so that only his followers can understand. And this means that sometimes we have to work through the concealment to find the true meaning of that passage. But we don't do this on our own power or with our own intelligence. But like Jesus' disciples, we seek his wisdom in doing this. We seek the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. As I said earlier, we seek the Spirit's wisdom through prayer, through scripture reading, and other trusted teachers and your church family. One of the greatest benefits of our online culture nowadays is the multitude of great free resources that we have available to us. Unfortunately, there are just as many, if not more, free online resources that should not be trusted. It can be hard to know which is which. But as I hinted earlier, we can use our footnotes to search the scriptures to get a better understanding of some of these passages. We're going to put that into practice with this verse, right? Uh, Luke quotes Jesus uh, in this right here. Uh, he says, Looking they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. But Luke's not just quoting Jesus. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament here. But how do we know where that is? Well, there were first clue to that. Right? So this is a picture that I took from one of my study Bibles. Um, of this passage. Our first clue to know that this is an Old Testament quote is the fact that it is in brackets, or it's not, not brackets, it's in bold, right? And so since that's in bold, that means that's the New Testament quoting the Old Testament. And then um, in first century Judea, this type of call out probably, or sorry, uh, the, so Jesus is, is quoting the Old Testament here, and he's, he, the the first century Jews, they would have gotten this full understanding of what Jesus is quoting because they had this deep Old Testament understanding that most of our modern uh, American Christians, we don't have such a deep Old Testament understanding. And so whereas Jesus can just quote two lines from an Old Testament here, and they get this, it's opening this whole floodgate of memories for these first century Jews. For us, it's like, what? What are you saying? And so we have footnotes. Uh, so notice the capital A here. That's kind of hard to see. But right after it says uh, they may not understand, there's a capital A, right? Uh, if your Bible has footnotes, I strongly encourage you to make it a regular practice of following their direction. And so if we follow that footnote down at the bottom, the A uh, is telling us to go to Isaiah 6, 9. Now, Isaiah was a pre-exilic prophet who warned the people that their sins would lead them into exile. With that in mind, let's go to this reference. Uh, we're going to go to Isaiah 6, but instead of just looking at verse 9, we're going to look at verses 8, 9, and 10. Right, it says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. And he replied, Go, 
Say to these people, keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive. Make the minds of the people dull, deafen their ears, and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back, and be healed. Wow, that sounds harsh. God tells Isaiah that he will prophesy to the Israelites, but God will close their hearts and their minds to his message, specifically so that they will not repent. God's telling Isaiah to go and preach, but God's going to close their ears and close their hearts so they won't hear the message that Isaiah has for them. That seems odd. These people have ears, but apparently not for hearing. Let's say that again. These people have ears, but apparently God is closing their ears so that they cannot hear. Remember earlier, Jesus said, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen. Well, now God is telling us that there are some people who have ears, but their ears are not to hear. Would, wouldn't God want his people to repent? Wouldn't Jesus want people to understand his message and repent? Well, let's keep reading in Isaiah. Picking up in verse 11. Then I said, until when, Lord? And he replied, until cities lie in ruins without inhabitants. Houses are without people. The land is ruined and desolate. And the Lord drives the people far away, leaving great emptiness in the land. Though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again. Like a terebinth or the oak that leaves a stump when felled, the holy seed is the stump. God says that the reason that he is closing their hearts and minds to Isaiah's message is to trim down the people to a holy remnant or a holy seed. God is purposely getting rid of those who may claim to be faithful, but they're not true followers. With that understanding, we look back to Jesus' words to know that he is speaking these parables so that he can trim down the crowd to those who truly trust and obey him, those who truly have placed their faith in him. So now we can better understand Jesus' words, those who have ears to hear, are those who have had their ears, their hearts, and their minds opened by God so that they can be the holy remnant, while those who do not trust in God have had their hearts and their minds closed by God. Remember, at the beginning of, the, of today's passage, we were told that there was a large crowd coming to Jesus from every town. Jesus is weeding out the unfaithful. So now, let's get into the meaning of this parable. It says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. And we're going to pause right there. To be more specific, he's telling us the seed is the word of God. But that word of God is the gospel. The seed that's being spread is the gospel. So what is the gospel? Well, the gospel is that we were all created in God's design. All of creation was made according to God's design, where everything would run perfectly. Everything would run according to the way it was designed. In Genesis, when we read that God saw that it was good, that means that it worked according to the way it was made. It did what it was supposed to do. Right? What were we supposed to do? Well, we were supposed to be in perfect relationship with God, in perfect relationship with each other, in perfect relationship with the rest of creation. But we look around us, and it's not like that. God looked at creation and said, it is good, meaning that it runs the way that I created it to. But our, in our lives, it doesn't always run the way that God created it to. That's because of sin. And sin is any time that we don't follow God's will in our lives. It can be doing things that God has told us not to do, 
or not doing things that God has told us to do, or having sinful thoughts like lust and envy. Those are all sin. It's anytime we're not following God's will in our life. And that sin started in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve uh, when they, they took the forbidden fruit, but it continues in each and every one of our lives. We still sin. And that sin leads us to a place of brokenness. I said earlier that creation doesn't run according to God's plan anymore. For the most part, it does, right? The, the planets have not come crashing together yet. God still holds the, the, the atom together and, and having everything spaced out perfectly so that nuclear fission doesn't happen inside of us all the time. Now, that would be really bad for all of us. God still holds all that together, but when we look at the details of our lives and the brokenness of our families or the brokenness of society, we look at uh, murder and we look at hurricanes and we look at earthquakes and, and we look at uh, government corruption. All of these are signs of the brokenness brought on by sin. And we try all sorts of different things to fix this brokenness. We can try, you know, going into uh, public service and, and trying to, to do good things for our communities. Most politicians say they start that way. I don't know. But that's, uh, that's what most politicians would say they're trying to do, is to do good in society. Um, and then we look at, you know, maybe we try to, to fix the relationships in our families. And, and we're loving our families and, and raising our children to be good moral members of society. Or, you know, maybe like we learned this morning in, in Sunday school, some people will hold their church traditions uh, valuable and they'll say that we can, we can fix everything wrong with our society by our church traditions and our expectation of what it means to be a Christian. Unfortunately, all of these, none of these can fix our brokenness and all of them will lead us right back to brokenness. That's because the only solution to our brokenness is the gospel. That Jesus came and he died for our sins. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He was sinless and he died for our sins. He was crucified on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, as our substitution. He took our punishment that we deserve. And after he was, after he was crucified, after he was dead, he was buried. And three days later, he was resurrected in victory over sin and death. He proved that he is God. He proved that he had the authority, the ability, the power to overcome sin and death. And when we place our faith in him, we believe in him for salvation and we repent from our sins, then we are free to recover and pursue God's design in our lives. We are saved through faith in the gospel. And once we are saved, then we pursue God's design in our lives. Um, I talked about trusted teachers a little bit this morning. Uh, one of my pastors growing up, uh, I still look at him as a trusted teacher. And one of the sayings that he said that has stuck with me for years is that we cannot expect lost people to act saved. We can't expect lost people to act saved. And so I think a lot of times we get this backwards and we're trying to pursue God's design in our lives before salvation. Salvation comes first and then we pursue God's design in our lives. We can't expect lost people to act saved. We can't expect ourselves to act saved until we have been saved. We cannot pursue God's design in our life until we have placed our faith in Jesus. In this parable, it said that a sower went out to sow the seed. Right? This is the sower. He's going out to try to spread God's design in his community. Well, the sower is someone sharing the gospel this is, there's an expectation that we, as Jesus' disciples, will be sharing the gospel. 
But one of the lessons for us in this story is that we cannot expect all of our evangelistic efforts to lead to conversion. And those times when a lost person does accept Christ as their Savior, it's probably not our fault or our credit. If a person does accept Christ as their Savior, that's not our credit. If a person does not accept Christ as their Savior, that's not our fault. It may not be that other person's fault either. Jesus shows us that there are many reasons that people are hesitant or reluctant to accept the gospel, or many reasons that people just outright reject the gospel. So let's look into those. He says, The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. When Jesus first told this parable, he said that this seed was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Here we see the birds of the sky represent the devil. He comes in and steals our willingness to even listen to it. The seed never even gets a chance to germinate or take root, and it's stolen um, from the soil. The devil steals the hope of the gospel from us. He tramples on the truth of the gospel by filling our hearts or our heads with all sorts of false teachings, false gospels, or other reasons that the gospel just can't be true. It could be secular humanism. It could be atheism or, or moralism or any other religion. These are all the devil coming in to steal the seed. These are things that take away the word from their hearts, as Jesus says, by filling our hearts with lies. And therefore, we are tempted to reject salvation. That's the first seed. There are three more. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. Now, first century Jerusalem or first century Israel was a very agrarian culture. They did a lot of farming. Now, there the ground is very dry. They have... Um, farming was big, but there wasn't this uh, a ton of rain every year. Some years would be a good rain, and other years would be a very dry year. And so the soil was kind of depleted. And so as the, the sower, as the farmer would throw out the seed, it was very much in faith that God would bring the rain that year. Now, since the soil was not great, you could say it was rocky soil. All right? And so as the seed fell on the rocky soil... If there was not good rain that year, then the roots would not go deep. The seed or the the plant would not grow healthy. And as soon as the hot season rolled around, that plant would dry up and die before it had a chance to grow and be healthy. This, the person in this scenario, right? Jesus says that this seed, when it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. This person does not have the same problem as the last. In this scenario, we hear that the gospel or that we, we hear the gospel and believe in the truth of the gospel, but lack depth of faith and understanding. This would be many of us who made a profession of faith and may have been baptized, but then were not discipled into deep understanding of Scripture or deep understanding of the gospel or application of the gospel in our lives. Either way, we lack the depth of understanding or faith that's required to withstand the hardships of life. And anybody who's been on this planet for any amount of time, we know that life can be hard. Life throws, throws curveballs at us. Life is heartbreaking. There are plenty of hard times in our lives. And without the, a, a depth of understanding or a depth of faith in the gospel, then our faith just kind of withers up and goes away. When the storms of life come, our shallow faith cannot take the beating and we fall away. That's our second seed. The third seed 
As for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way, or sorry, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. So here are those of us who hear the gospel and we make a profession of faith, but we get so concerned with everything else in life that we allow this stuff to take priority in our hearts. This reminds me of a book that we read last year. I think it was last year, God's at War by Kyle Eidelman. We look at everything else as our hope for salvation instead of looking to Jesus himself. I want to be clear. These things that we're looking for, they're not inherently bad or sinful. They don't have to be bad or sinful things. But anything that I prioritize in my life over God is an idol. Quoting from that book, anything at all can become an idol once it becomes a substitute for God in our lives. It might be money. It could be pleasure. It could be status. Or maybe it's power and materialism or safety and security. It could even be family. It could be service. Or even church itself could become an idol. If we value these things more than God himself, then we are committing idolatry. Or as Jesus says here, we have fallen among the thorns and we will produce no fruit. When we hear this, though, we are tempted to think that if we fall into this category, it may not be great, but we're still okay. We're still saved, right? It, 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 we can still be saved and, and maybe not take it so seriously. That's our temptation to read that in this passage. We, we want to read this and say, well, this person, they, the, 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 the root still took, the plant still grew, the seed was there, and the seed took and, produced, or, and grew into a plant. So this person must be saved. I can be saved and, and not take it so seriously. I don't have to produce fruit to prove that I'm saved. I don't have to see the effects of Jesus in my life in order to know that I'm saved. So this doesn't sound that bad, right? Well, that's wrong. In response to that, I want us to look at what Jesus says in John 15, starting in verse 1. But the seed, sorry, I don't have it up there. I thought I had it up there. Sorry. Uh, John 15, starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Every branch, that, uh, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I in you. Just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, Neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit, because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Jesus says, if we claim to follow him, but we're not producing fruit, God will cut us off from the vine and throw us into the fire so that those who are producing fruit can produce more fruit. Jesus makes it clear. Those of us who are saved are expected to produce fruit. Those of us who produce no fruit are not saved and will be removed from the vine and thrown into the fire. And so we read this verse 14 right here. There's no comfort in that. If anything, it's a warning to us. As we look at our lives, are we allowing anything else to take priority over Jesus? 
Are we allowing something else to sit on the throne of our hearts other than God? And is that, pre- is that preventing us from producing fruit? Our last seed. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with, uh, with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring produce fruit. I said earlier that we can turn to trusted teachers to get a better understanding of Scripture. One of the most trusted teachers that I look to is Charles Spurgeon. Of verse 15, he said, so I'm going to quote, The ground is described as good, not that it, had, not that it was good by nature, but it had been made good by grace. God had plowed it, he had stirred it up with the plow of conviction, and there it lay in ridge and furrow as it should lie. When the gospel was preached, the heart received it, for the man said, This is just the blessing I need. Mercy is what a needy sinner requires. So the preaching of the gospel was the thing to give comfort to this disturbed and plowed soil. Down fell the seed to take good root. What he's saying is that this good ground, it's not good by what I did. It's not good by what you did. God prepares the soil. And when the seed is thrown, it is only because of God's preparation of the soil that, it, that the seed can take and produce fruit. When the seed falls on healthy ground, it grows and it produces fruit. That fruit's not going to look the same for all disciples. Some disciples will produce great and wondrous fruit that we all look at and then wonder and awe and say, wow, they did such a great job. And others, we might not, we, 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 we look at their simple, uh, faithful life and say, God, why didn't you do more with them? They're so faithful to you. But we don't always see the fruit that's being produced by other disciples. But it is clear that Jesus expects his disciples to produce fruit. Jesus is telling us that when the heart has been prepared by God and the gospel is preached, then the seed falls on good ground and takes root so that it can produce fruit. So our application for this passage. Our application always comes from our definition of a disciple and our three indicators of a disciple, and that's knowing, being, and doing. So our first application is to know that God must reveal his truth. If you are not saved then the secrets of the word of God will remain secret to you. I'm going to say that again. If you are not saved, then the secrets of the word of God will remain secret to you. In reading this, or in saying this, I'm reminded of a very famous atheist named Christopher Hitchens. Uh, Hitchens died a few years ago. He was an, an extremely smart man. And he knew the Bible mentally. He had a, a good understanding mentally and historically, of the Bible. He refused to believe in God. We're all familiar with the term atheist, and an atheist is just somebody who does not believe that there's a God. But Christopher Hitchens uh, would be better described as an anti-theist. Because he didn't just believe that there was no God, he sought to convince others that there was no God. He made it his life's purpose to teach against the truth of God. So he was an anti-theist. But he knew the Bible well, at least as well as somebody who is not saved could. And you could tell as he was quoting scriptures, as he was referencing biblical truths, you could tell that he had a mental understanding of this. But the real truth of scripture was locked away and he could not dig into them. The real truths of Scripture were not open to him because he was not seeking God for the truth. 
He had a mental understanding of Scripture, but it did not get into his heart. The truths of Scripture are God's, and they are his to reveal. And so we seek him for truth. If you do not have ears to hear, ask God to open your heart and open your mind to accept the gospel. And then the secrets of the word of God will be available to you. Our second application is to be a sower. In this parable, Jesus spoke of someone spreading the word of God like spreading seed. I think the picture that we get here is supposed to be more like spreading grass seed than uh, planting a vegetable garden. Now, this is my first year trying to do a vegetable garden, and I can tell you that throwing out grass seed is way different than trying to plant um, beans or, or trying to plant, um, we had squash or tomatoes. Right? If you're planting tomatoes, you don't just take a bunch of tomato seeds and throw them out on the grass. But that's exactly what you do with grass seed. You just take it, you throw it on the, on the grass, and you water it and make sure that it's got enough water and everything. But you don't have to worry about trying to uh, tend the soil. I mean, you do want to make sure your soil is good, but it's not the same. You just you throw it out and you take care of it. And that's what we see. That's the picture that we get here, is to be out there and sharing the gospel everywhere that you go. But like spreading grass seed, there may be uh, times where you need to focus on some problem areas of your yard. So when we're sharing the gospel, there will be certain relationships or areas of, in our lives that we need to be more intentional about sharing the gospel. And our due application is to seek his wisdom, seek God's wisdom. It's if you are saved and reading through scripture and still struggling to understand, ask him for clarification. Pray to him. Ask him to make it clear to you. Search the scriptures. What does the rest of the Bible say about this passage? Seek out trusted teachers and discuss with your church family to better understand the scriptures. So our three application points is to know that God must reveal his truth, be a sower, and seek his wisdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the truth in your word. God, this morning we, we ask that you will open our hearts so that we can hear your truth. Reveal your truth to us, God. Help us to place our faith and our trust in you so that we can know what your word says. And Father, once we have placed our faith in you, help us to be faithful sowers, sharing the gospel like we're spreading out grass seed, Lord. Help us to, to share the gospel as often and as frequently as we can, Lord. Help us to be faithful to you and produce fruit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you again for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more information about our church, please visit VictoryBaptistHopeMills.com or Facebook.com slash VBCHopeMills. I would also like to ask that you rate and review this podcast. And if you found this sermon helpful, please share it.